Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Honey, I'm Homeschooling the Kids. And right now we're doing Read the Reviews. This one is called Great Broadly Focused Introduction to Home Education. Love that this podcast has a very broad base, interviews with locals from Alberta, which is super helpful for locals, but also interviews with people who are educating all around the world in all in different ways. I love that it doesn't focus exclusively on unschooling because it introduces me to new ideas and philosophies of education. Thank you very much. Now, let's move on to the intro. Who did you interview in this episode? I interviewed Mandy Spixka from Shine Together. And why did you interview her? Well, Mandy was someone that I was actually connected to from another past guest on the show from Meryl Leinenberger. And she was someone that once we started a conversation, I was so inspired by what she had to say. Her passion, you will hear, is so evident and comes through so clearly. She is a mom. She is an unschooling parent. She's also a former public school teacher. And I had said she's from Shine Together. Shine Together is a... I guess a creative, self-directed learning community that she has created uh, on her 20 acres at her home, a place for kids to gather and be themselves, a place for kids to be supported, to work on their self-directed learning and education, and to really just, it sounds like they have a lot of joy and space to be who they are and to learn and create. So Mandy talks about her experience in the public school system. And as a teacher, what she saw for her daughter and why she chose to unschool and what she's created with Shine Together. And I think you will most likely be as inspired as I was speaking with her. Do you have anything else to say? Uh, If you want to find out more about Mandy, you can go to her website as well as her Facebook page, Shine Together LLC. Her website is www.shinetogethermn.com. N.com. Thank you. And her Facebook page. I have linked in the show notes as well, but you can find her on Shine Together. She is also one of the founding members of St. Cloud Unschooling Network, and you can find their Facebook group uh, on Facebook as well. And don't forget to check out my mom on her website at Honey, I'm Homeschooling the Kids. And you can find her on Facebook and Instagram at Honey, I'm Homeschooling the Kids. Also, don't be shy to leave a review. Enjoy the episode! So, welcome, Mandy. I have Mandy Spixka with me today, joining me on the show. Thank you very much for coming. Yes, thank you, Robin. <laughs> I'm excited to talk to you today. So Mandy has been helping kids learn and grow since her childhood. She has mentored, babysat neighbors' kids, worked as a nanny, a YMC summer program counselor, and after-school program coordinator. After studying English and education in college, Mandy taught in public schools for about a decade and has worked as a private tutor on and off for years. Mandy has homeschooled her daughter, utilizing her interests as a guiding force, looking for what made her come alive and supporting her in doing more of it. She has helped numerous families in St. Cloud Unschooling Network on the same path and founded Shine Together, LLC, as a way to support even more families interested in a natural alternative education for their children. At Shine Together, Mandy has created a space where each child's interests, needs, and strengths take center stage and where academic learning is fully integrated with real-life experiences. 
Beyond the academic subjects, Mandy values and nurtures social, emotional, physical, artistic, and inner growth that shine together as well for a truly holistic education. Wow, that sounds very, very good. Thank you very much, Mandy. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> so to start out, so you are a former public school teacher. You now homeschool your daughter. You're homeschooling mom and founder of Shine Together, LLC. So if we could maybe start with your homeschooling journey, that personal journey, how long have you homeschooled your daughter for? Yeah, sure. I I decided to homeschool my daughter six years ago when she was about to enter kindergarten. I wanted her to have an education that was as unique as she is. And she had been in a play-based preschool at the local school district a few times a week. And homeschooling was an option that I was considering. I'd always been very interested in alternative forms of education. Uh, And midway through the year at her preschool conference, the teacher was listing off all the academic skills that she already knew, numbers and letters and letter sounds and all those sorts of things that young children are learning. And the preschool teacher said that Zoe would probably be bored in kindergarten. And yeah, and I responded, that's why I'm probably not sending her. And at the time, it seemed like such a huge decision. I was so nervous. But as soon as I made it, I was flooded with the feeling that it was the right choice. It just aligned so much with everything I learned about child psychology and development and everything that I had been studying as a teacher and just as a person who very much connects with children all my life. Children really learn best when they're able to pursue their own interests and to follow their own timetable. I didn't want Zoe to be bored in kindergarten because she already knew the things that they were learning. I wanted her to continue just to learn and and play and grow naturally as she had since she was born. Hmm. So, you know, it's really interesting because you, I think, are one of the few who actually says that when you made that decision, you knew it was the right decision. Because I think many, many have doubt, you know, they're uncertain, they, they have lots of questions, they doubt themselves and what they can provide for their children. Because I think many times they base it on a traditional model that is different from what you expressed of what children, um, what the environment we should create for children and their development and what they need and what's important. So was mm-hmm. that as a teacher, did you, you didn't have any conflict at, at all or you just, that was a real true gut feeling? Well, you know, that was the gut feeling and then the scared feelings did come later. I am not <laughs> going to say that it was all easy from then on out, certainly not. But I thought about the beliefs that I really had over time and what I had studied and, and I and I wanted to really put them into practice. And and I already had, like, you know, I made this decision when Zoe was five. And so I had already been watching her learn and grow and trying to make it I mean, it, it was as it was completely natural at, at, at that point. Most of the time I wasn't like trying to, you know, get her to do academic things, certainly as a small child. Um, and I but really with when I when she started to to be school age and, you know, formal education, I, I it was the first time I was really putting my beliefs about self-directed learning into practice. And sometimes it was scary 
But I knew all of the things that I really didn't want for her. And that helped to keep me focused on the self-directed path. I mean, as a teacher, I so often saw kids with just this burned out, glazed look on their face surrounding their, their learning. Or as I'd done a lot of substitute teaching when Zoe was young, and so I had been in kindergarten and first grade classes, and and there were little kids who were having stress headaches and stomach aches because of school. And as time went on, too, I mean, I, I my most of my teaching experience is with seventh graders, so 12, 13-year-olds, and so many young people had been falling into anxiety and depression more and more over time. And I thought about my own child and I didn't want her to be in that environment that was creating um, so many kids that are just out of alignment with who they are as human beings. Mm. Oh, I get that. Yeah, that's so clear. Okay. So did you face very many obstacles then when you started? Well, I think the biggest obstacle that I felt most and and where a lot of the, the sense of anxiety came to start was feeling very alone in that choice because most of my parent friends at the time were sending their kids to public schools. And so I knew I would need new friends who were, you know, traveling similar paths for for me and and for my daughter. I got in touch with an acquaintance who had conveniently just published a blog post about planning to unschool her kids. And so we started to get together uh, on a regular basis and talk about our education philosophies and just allow the kids to have time to play together. And over time, we kept meeting more and more families. And eventually, we formed the St. Cloud Unschooling Network. And we opened it up publicly to anyone in central Minnesota who who was aligned with the philosophy that learning should be natural and child-led. And I mean, it's just been a phenomenal feeling to be supported in the process and to see all the different families at, at different stages along the path. Uh, there was one family in particular who has a daughter who is five or six years older than my daughter. And being able to see this young lady be um, articulate and kind and intelligent, and she was just further along the path, and to talk with um, other other parents who were further along the path just made it a lot easier. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it would. So how, can I ask, how old is your daughter now? She is 11. She's 11. Okay, so it's been quite a few years that you, you've been continuing down the self-directed path. Okay, mm-hmm. so how how long ago did you create Shine Together? Was this after the, uh, un- the unschooling uh, community that you had created? Did it all kind of melt together or how did it come about? How long has it been? Yeah, everything is sort of intertwined. Um, I guess we, we I had started the unschooling network formally about five years ago, so about a year into um, her her formal education. And then Shine Together has been kind of in the works for the past year or two. I've been doing things in different forms. I've been doing um, small group or one-on-one tutoring. I've been offering different classes in my home uh, on on various subjects like um, trying to stretch your mind or um, different art projects or uh, different, different kind of things that 
to get kids together and to be creative and, and to think about things on a, on a deep level. But Shine Together formally, I officially under that name started just at the beginning of this year. So it's really relatively a new program. Uh, but many of the people who joined right away were people who already knew me through the St. Cloud Unschooling Network or families who had experience with me as a, as a tutor for their kids in various academic subjects. And so they knew a lot about my philosophy and how I work with kids. Um, so that was it was pretty easy transition for for some of those families to make. Mm, OK, OK. So, you know, you know, it's actually really interesting to me, too, because um, for my friends that are educators, that are teachers, um, and I do mm-hmm. have a few that are also unschooling parents or homeschooling parents, but I know they talk about, they find, and it's, and it's, it's funny, it's a funny contrast because you have some parents who enter into it and their obstacles, their fears is that they don't feel trained enough, that they, because they're not educators, they won't be able to do a good enough job or know what their child needs and support them. But then my friends who are educators who have begun the unschooling process or even homeschooling, they feel like they say, oh, their difficulty is the past beliefs about learning that they're so, have been so, you know, built into their brains and into their heads. And it's almost like they have to undo a lot of things. Yes, they do, at all, or? they do talk a lot about that process, about needing to, to de-school the parent yes. and to not do things in the way that they're done in, in, in schools. Because a, a lot of things that are done in schools is more about the efficiency. When I had over 30 kids in a classroom, I had to do things a certain way just for the practicality of working with that number of kids at the same time and with the varying levels and the varying attention, um, it, you know, the things that you do in school aren't always about uh, what's best for the child's learning, but, but they are, there are different reasons, but, but to take, to take yourself out and to step away, it does, it, it is a process. And I definitely know with my daughter, there were times when, I had to step back and and I was trying to force something to happen or I was trying to orchestrate how I thought she was going to learn something. And, you know, often I I wasn't getting the result that I expected. And I was like, oh, it's because I'm no longer following her lead. I'm trying to take the lead. And so there is some of that like give and take and push and pull and you have to, you have to adapt. And sometimes you have to, sometimes you just find yourself in awe of what the child already knows and what the child is already capable of. And if you're just willing to take that time to reflect a lot of times it, it's a lot easier than to step away and to, to, to de-school yourself on, on how you think or, or, or just the system that you're used to. Because even if, if you think one thing, like I, I had these ideas and I had tried them out certainly to some extent in, in a various different jobs and, and teaching situations, but um, to really fully put them into practice definitely t- took some effort and uh, wasn't always, you know, every, every process is an ebb and flow. Some days are certainly more, it's certainly easier to follow the, the 
the child-centered learning model and other days it takes, you, you just have to redirect, I think. Hmm. Redirect yourself. Yes. As opposed yes. to the child. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right. Yeah. A lot of change and redirection and unlearning happens more with the parents than the kids, depending on how old the kids are. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the most beautiful processes, I think, about homeschooling is how much you learn as a parent and how you really are living the idea that learning is a lifelong process. Mm. You're living it right there in front of your child every day. And I mean, if there's one thing that I want Zoe to value as an adult, it's learning. I want her to know that there's always going to be something more to learn and engage in the world. And I want her to have all the tools and skills to get whatever knowledge that she desires later in life. So how do you make sure she gets all the tools and skills she needs to do that? Uh, By letting her do it now already. Hmm. Like I support her in the process, but, but I, I, I let her struggle, which I think is an important skill that is lost on a lot of today's youth is that they aren't provided with opportunities to struggle there. There's someone always there to catch them or it, it's not okay to be imperfect. And so they don't even try on things they don't already know they'll succeed at. Mm, yeah, yeah, abs- yeah, I see that for sure. Absolutely, I see that. So how does, so how does, I guess Zoe hasn't entered the school system. So I was going to say, how, what's her response? What do you see for her? Is she, um, is all she knows now is just embracing herself and her fullness and her joy of learning? Oh, I mean, she very much enjoys learning and she, I mean, she's not joyous all the time. And, and certainly there's sometimes when she struggles and becomes frustrated. Um, and there are certain things like we do, we do unschool primarily as our, as our main guiding force, but we have requirements that we have to adhere to in the state of Minnesota. There are different subject areas that are required. So I do make sure that, you know, she is progressing at an adequate pace, specifically in math, because that one is, it's a little harder to do in a, in a fully unschooled fashion. Um, And so sometimes she, you know, is, is frustrated by, exactly uh, the things that are that are a little more prescribed but she certainly really enjoys being unschooled I know that's something that she feels really lucky and she has you know friends and cousins and other kids in her life who she knows who go to traditional schools and so she hears their experiences and feels very fortunate that she is able to control her own time and learn in the things that she's most interested in and really to spend a lot more time being herself and being free and and just experiencing her life, her childhood. Mm -hmm. 
So, you know, I, I, I actually, I, I want to talk a little bit more about Shine and especially because, I mean, when I hear it, I also hear about the community that you've helped to create to surround you and Zoe mm-hmm. as well, which is mm-hmm. the beauty of it too, right? But before I do, <laughs> because you just, and I just, I want to um, learn a little bit more about, you'd mentioned Minnesota and it has some requirements because I know every state homeschooling is different in every state. I live in Canada, so it's the same by province. Mm-hmm. You know, sure. Our province governs our education, so it's a little bit different of what's required here for me in Alberta as opposed to like Ontario, for example. So mm-hmm. in Minnesota, when you uh, homeschool, how do you have a? Do you have to? submit a report every year? Um, how structured is it? How are the guidelines? Do you have to check in with a teacher, an assigned teacher? How does that work? We, we don't have a lot of communication like that. Our, our basic requirements are we have to register our child with the local school district. Just, just tell them that we are choosing to homeschool them from age seven to age 17. We have to test our child annually using a nationally normed standardized test. And we have to make sure that they are learning all of the subject areas that Minnesota deems um, deems requirements. And, and those include, you know, communications, which includes like reading, writing, literature, then mathematics, science, social studies, which covers history, geography, economics, and government, and then health and physical education. And so all of those areas broadly have to be covered throughout throughout each school year. Now, the format that you choose to do that in is completely up to you. And, you know, there's some some homeschoolers here, obviously, who do much more of a structured kind of create school at home and, and have, you know, curriculums that they're following throughout the year. But for those of us who are unschoolers, like we, we have to keep track of what our child is doing, but we don't, you know, it's, it's not like one year we're just studying biology for the year. I, we're, we're doing science all the time. Like today, for example, I took my child to a state park and we were doing science in real life as we were hiking along the trail and learning about the different plants and animals that we saw. And so I keep track, I record notes or I take photos of the different things she's doing. And we have a a monthly chart that we set that we sit down at the beginning of each month and, and Zoe actually plans out, you know, what is it that she's interested in doing that month? And I type it into the computer as a way of record keeping because we have to have records. Um, no one ever really looks at them, but <laughs> at some point, like they for example, yeah, if there was if there was some sort of issue involving child protective services or something, they would ask you for those records. If 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 a child was you know possibly being neglected, they would want to see those those records. So we keep them mostly for our own purposes, but because that's what we're that's what we're um, supposed to do in Minnesota. And then if the child did transfer into a public school system, then you would have things, materials that you could give 
to the educators so that they could see how the child is progressing and, and where their skills are. Right. Okay. Okay. So then when it comes to, so for example, when we're transferring this over to Shine, uh, and Shine is a micro school from what I understand. Am I correct on that? Or uh, It's not officially a micro school. It, it's technically a tutoring service. Okay. Uh, and I chose that because it was just the simplest designation to give me a lot of flexibility in the different programs that I wanted to offer. Now, some families can choose to to enroll their child full-time, and essentially it would be a micro-school for those families. And other families who are already homeschooling their kids often choose uh, a part-time option, and so they just enroll for a day or two. And so in that case, it's it's just a supplemental tutoring program, whereas the parents themselves have the responsibility for uh, homeschooling the child. Okay. Okay. So do you have a, I, I also work in, um, in public school governance as well too. So I understand how sometimes the regulations and for, you know, for homeschooling, independent schooling, and, you know, how that has to be met and certain guidelines and things that you, and the different levels that there are. Um, mm-hmm. So do you have a, is there a location? Because I know you said you started doing so many things out of your home. Is it your home or do you have Yes, yes. It is located at my home as of now. Um, We live on 20 acres out in the country. So it's, you know, being able to do a lot of hands-on things outdoors was something that I had always wanted for Shine Together. And so this seemed like the most natural and perfect place to start. And Eventually, I think I will probably have a location in town as well as I grow, but I, I'm not sure what that will look like. You know, I'm in the early stages of this program. Uh, I wanted to start it really because there were so many people who I kept meeting who would say, I wish I could homeschool my child. And they knew what I was doing with Zoe. They knew about the St. Claudine Schooling Network that I was involved with. And they they wanted that for their kid, but, but there are so many different things that people have reasons that it may or may not be a good choice for a particular family. Sometimes there's a co-parent who just doesn't think homeschooling is the right choice. Or sometimes both parents need to work full time Sometimes there's just other practical issues and commitments that the family has, or, or maybe it's just not their passion. Like the, the teaching, teaching their child just isn't the thing that, that they are most excited about. And so I, for those families, I do have the full-time option and I have several families who are planning to enroll for this fall full-time. And I have lots of part-time kids already, kids who whose families were already homeschooling and who just wanted a program where their kids could interact with other children and learn about different things uh, more in depth than they might do at home, or they would have the opportunities to be out in nature and to explore things in a different way than they would at home. And, and some of them are parents who are also seeking time so that they can work part-time. They may have a small business or something that they need to run. And so sometimes people choose Shine Together as a way to support uh, their own businesses. Okay. Okay. 
So you really provide a great option for those that are looking for options outside of the traditional education system. So they, there's quite a few choices that they have in that way, too, of how they yeah, can I, work I, with you. I tried to listen to all the different families who, who were talking to me and to put out there all the options that people seem to need. And honestly, I also just started Shine Together because it's really my passion. I love working with kids. I love watching them learn and grow. Uh, It's the thing that really makes me come alive. I feel the happiest when I'm surrounded by a group of children. I love their laughter, energy, curiosity, and openness. And I just feel really lucky to be able to guide them on their own path of discovering what makes them come alive. Mm. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing, isn't it? (laughs) It's Mm -hmm. a very beautiful thing. So have you noticed very much um, or more interest or questions coming to you now because of the time that we're in with COVID and the pandemic and schools being closed and uh, maybe some families that are looking at other options that are, you know, at home now and, and see that, you know, okay, well, maybe this wasn't as scary as I thought it would be. Maybe it's something I might want to consider homeschooling my kids. But like you said, we both have to work or we run a business or we just don't Mm -hmm. feel that we can, you know, we're able or capable to do this. Have you, um, have you heard any more interest or any other questions because of that? Yeah, I've I've certainly talked to a lot of different families. um, And, and I've been kind of a go-to person as people have had questions, you know, what should I do if they're struggling with this or I have this issue and can you help me? And I've I've certainly been talking to a lot of friends and family members and um, I do have one close friend who I know has decided to homeschool her kids and to enroll them in Shine Together part-time. It's it is a very interesting time that we're in, and, and a lot of us have been forced into a, a place of reflection, and I think that will be good in the long term for education and, and for individual families and for children. I mean, even now in this space, I keep reading so many articles about children who are happier and more peaceful and less anxious than when they attended school. Yeah. You know, they're getting enough sleep for the first time in you know, forever. They feel more connected to their families. They have free time to explore and play. I, I keep seeing posts by friends where, you know, the kids built this giant thing out of cardboard today. And and these are the things that children love to do. And this is how children learn and grow the best by being allowed that freedom and that time and that space. And so even though this time is very much a struggle for everyone, I do see a lot of good things coming out of it for for children and for individual families. So do you think then that, you know, you see a lot of good things happening. So then do you think that traditional education is going to change in the long term? Do you think it is going to affect how we, how it's structured or how we run it or even how others view it? You know, I'm always optimistic. So I'm going to be optimistic that, that conventional education will, will be affected positively in the long term. I think a lot of people are kind of waking up to the realities of, of education. Parents are seeing, you know, 
firsthand what were their kids doing on a day-to-day basis and where their kids are struggling. And and I, I think because they're more involved now, they'll be in, more involved in the long term. Mm-hmm. And the pieces that we see that, that really are positive and that honestly many teachers have known for years and years to be the best practices for working with kids. I think some of that is just being brought to light and some of the things that are currently happening in in the public school system will start to shift again. Um, There's been a lot more in the past couple decades of of a top-down management style where education has been has been connected to so many business models. And these things are important. I mean, certainly education, you have to manage it and and we do want the best, best results in the end. But I know that teachers have lost so much of the flexibility and so much of the ability to adapt to the needs of particular students or particular group of kids. And I think that we'll start to see things perhaps shift back to where teachers are given more respect and more autonomy to be able to make critical choices that are good for children, rather than so many things coming down, being handed down from um, government or regulations that may or may not work with the actual group of kids that are in that classroom at that particular time. Right. So what so what happened? What do you think happened then where, you know, most and I find this as well, you know, most educators have for best practices you mentioned and they, you know, you'll hear that they are frustrated. They feel like their hands are tied, that they can see what their kids need, but they can't really give it to them. They maybe need smaller classes. They need more time to explore. But, you know, we know this. It's like teachers are learning this and train this as well. And we, we know what the best practices are. So what's going on? Where's the disconnect where this is not happening within the schools? I think the disconnect is because there are so many mandates and regulations that are coming from the higher, higher levels. And sometimes that's, you know, the national government or the state government, um, so that the teachers want to do things that they know are best for kids, but they're being told that they have to do certain things. And I know, like in my own educational career, I saw this start with the No Child Left Behind Act, which was in place in the early 2000s because the we wanted our children to be able to compete in a global economy. And so these certain standards were created and benchmarks and all these tests were put into place. And testing is an important way to gauge where students are at, but testing should not be the focus of education. And testing very much has become a huge focus of education. And, and thereby the teacher's hands are tied. There, there are so many things tied to the tests funding the teacher's jobs. So they, they focus more time and energy on things that aren't necessarily what's best for the children, but they, these are the things that they have to do to meet these benchmarks or their penalties. 
And it's unfortunate because, you know, the children are the ones that are missing out on the best possible education. And and if you actually look at the research and you look at countries around the world who do the very best in in education, countries like Finland, they don't test their kids until they're teens. And even then, very minimally, they do much more of a cooperative, project-based, creative learning style. And they wait. Uh, like we see in, in the United States, we have young children, preschool and kindergarten children being taught letters and reading and numbers and adding. And these skills are not developmentally appropriate at age four, five, six. I mean, some children are interested and are ready to do those things, but developmentally, children should be focused on play primarily until about age eight when their their brain shifts and they start to think about things in different ways. Now, they sh- it's not that they shouldn't play at all anymore when they hit age eight, but then they will start learning in in what what people perceive as as more academic learning and they'll become more interested children children who naturally learn to read if given the time and the opportunity and and children will learn to love reading one thing that i i really makes me sad about the public school system is that many young children learn to hate reading because it's forced on them before they are ready or they learn to think that they're not good at math because it's forced on them before they're developmentally ready. And I mean, it's certainly hard. It's it's hard for teachers specifically because there are so many kids in the room and you do have to kind of teach to the middle and you do have to, you know, cover the content that that is required. And you just they see that more and more at, at younger and younger ages. They're requiring more and more. And and that's you know, it's it's sad and it's difficult. And and I think just with the current time that that more of this is just bring being brought to light. And so I think with the awareness, I'm hoping that we'll see some more shifts because just more people are aware of of some of the kinks in the system and 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 some of the ways that the the real people who should be at the center of education the the learner the the, the children and the teacher should be like the next you know ring outward and and so if if we can just shift some of these systems so that the most important players are at the center again mm. Well, don't you think as well, it's most, unless they were choosing to essentially opt out of the system, whether they're unschooling or homeschooling or choosing another method, most have never, have felt that they've never had the chance to question any of it before, or maybe they've been really busy and never taking the time mm-hmm. to question it. But it's kind of like the, this is what we've always done. We've been fine. I was fine. So why mm-hmm. wouldn't we just continue to do the same thing? Yeah. Yeah. And there's probably many people who will still stay in that space, True. Uh, but, but there are many people who will who kind of wake up to it and, and explore the other options as well. Uh, you know, it's 
this this time in history is very unique and and people are being being shifted into a, a reflective space and people are waking up to a lot of different things and you know that's going we're going to see a, a lot of things very different i think and it's going to affect all areas of life, not just education, of course. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All areas are are already being greatly affected. I I agree. So, um, so for something like you know, before you were saying how Minnesota has certain requirements, and one of them is that you do have to test annually. So, you know, one of my questions that's come up here when you were talking about testing, that it shouldn't be the focal point of education. How do you work with something like that? What does that look like for you when you know your daughter or the kids who are part of the Shine Together community have to do an annual test at the end of the year? Do you end up that you start trying to focus on passing that test or do you find that because their learning is happening naturally they don't have the stress going into the test and it's just a matter of taking the test because right now at this point you just have to take it and move on from it Mm -hmm. yeah we we don't put a lot of emphasis on it at all so my daughter doesn't feel stressed about it um we choose, there, there's lots of different ones to choose from, and we choose, so far we've done the Peabody Independent Test, which is an oral test, and it takes anywhere from 30 minutes to an hour to administer the entire thing. And so it's about as low stress as tests come. And actually, most of the families in my uh, unschooling group choose that as well. And and we have a, a few local testers who try to make the children very, very comfortable. They're, they're very friendly and they um, set it up kind of as a game and the children feel like that, that they're having fun and they're, they're being challenged of course, and they're being asked questions, but it doesn't feel so much uh, like a test that you might uh think of as a standardized test where children are sitting there bubbling in and it's totally silent and it goes on for hours and hours. I mean, as a teacher, I remember administering the Iowa test of basic skills, which we would spend an entire week on. And there was just section after section after section. And it was, you know, total, totally silent. And um, so since there are options, we are fortunate in that, in that respect. Okay. Okay. I think, why can't all the rest of the tests be like that? Mm -hmm. (laughs) But yeah. And just, and just the nature of being only once a year is, is also just much less stressful than, than the, the the amount of testing that is happening now in our local schools. It's, it's just much greater. Mm, yeah, yeah, it is. I found like it's getting greater, depending on the year and also the government that's in it. It's getting greater and greater, unfortunately. Yeah. So I I would like to ask for Shine Together, I'm trying to get an idea of what the space looks like or what this looks like for families that are part of Shine Together. Because uh, you live on, uh, you have 20 acres and mm-hmm. so your daughter is there. Families come. Do parents stay with them for the day? Do they drop their kids off? You said you have some that are coming full-time pretty well, some that are just part-time or once in a while. What, what does the space and kind of a, a day or week look, for, look like for you there? 
Um, <laughs> it's a little bit different each week, but uh, yeah. <laughs> what, what they're doing. But the basic structure is um, it's a six-hour day, and it's the parents drop off the kids at 10 in the morning, pick them up at 4 in the afternoon, and they usually start out the day with just the kids are just playing their whatever it is that piques their interest when they arrive. They some of them are drawn to, you know, building things with Legos and other ones will pull out a game and start to play or sometimes drawing. Um, it's usually there's usually a time in the morning where we sit in a circle and kind of talk about ideas for the day. And so if there's some sort of project that they want to do where they need help setting up supplies, you know, I've, I, I like to know those kind of things in the morning so that there's enough time if they want to paint something, for example, there's enough time for all the steps and the setup and the time, time for things to uh, dry and stuff. And then there's often time, I mean, it, it's different each day, but there's time where they're working by themselves or they're working in little small groups and doing different, doing different things. And, um, we have, we usually have lunch together at the big table. Going outside is something we do every single day for sure. And sometimes a shorter time, you know, half hour, hour, but sometimes for several hours, especially when it's nice out, uh, in Minnesota, we have to take advantage of of the warm months when we have them. And so we'll go outside and walk around. We have gardens and orchards and all sorts of different trails. And we have beehives that the kids like to check out and just kind of explore what's going on. There's, there's a big area in the front that they call the uh, Willow Kingdom. And they've certain trees have been dubbed the king and the queen. I usually like to go check out what that looks like. And there's a swamp that sometimes to walk through. And it's, it's really just time to explore. And often outside we'll do some sort of physical activity as well, like... Um, you know, throw around a baseball or play basketball or something like that. Uh, but really, it's it's really whatever it is the kids are interested in is what we do. And so certain days, there'll, there'll be a big focus and we'll all work on one project that, you know, for extended hours. And other days, it's very random. And there'll be, you know, Many kids will be doing many different things and I'll be kind of bouncing around and interacting with uh, little groups or individuals. Uh, all of the groups like to have some quiet time usually throughout the day. So there'll, there'll be kids curled up, you know, reading a book or doing a drawing or playing with Legos by themselves or something like that. It's it's very organic. And so I can't say, well, it's always like this because it's it's different each time. And the mix of the kids makes it very different. Like there's one day of the week that I currently well, when when we were meeting in person, I I would have six girls come over. And so the the dynamic of that group and they were all older, too. It was ages nine to 13. And another day of the week, I had more of a mix 
and I had younger kids, um, seven-year-olds. And so it, you know, the, the things that they're interested in and their level of learning is, is different depending on, on where they are in that. It all sounds very, um, I, it is a very different depending on the kids in the group that come. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then, of course, during this, you know, during the stay at home time, we have had to shift and we've been doing activities together on Zoom and it's a much shorter time period because I certainly wouldn't want anyone to spend six hours on Zoom. So we've been <laughs> doing different games together and um there's been a lot of virtual escape rooms that we've in, been enjoying where you solve different puzzles and together go through some sort of adventure. Um, and we've been kind of checking out all the different creative features that they have on Zoom and te- we're learning new things pretty much every week. Uh, they, we, 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 we got to go into breakout rooms the other day, which they were very excited about. And <laughs> It's it's because when you're describing the space, the day there, and I I definitely I understand when you say it's not a typical like well at nine o'clock we have math and at eight o'clock we or at ten o'clock we go outside and at twelve o'clock mm-hmm. we do this I, I you know it's very comfortable and natural and yes. yeah so I was going to ask how do you accommodate that during this time period of COVID when everyone is not able to when they're not able to come to to your place to the space there. Yeah, that it's definitely been been a huge challenge. I mean, we're still using the same basic philosophy where following what the kids are interested in, but we're just certainly more much more limited in what we can do using the technology than what we were doing when we, you know, didn't have these limits. But at the same time, there has been some different um creative things that we've come up with over Zoom that we wouldn't have otherwise uh, learned about. And so it's been, you know, try to take advantage of, of the situation that we have and, and, and do our best with, with the resources that we have before us. But I, it's a little harder in the sense that if I have a, a group of six kids on Zoom, for example, we have to do more compromise in figuring out what we want to do. It's it's a little more difficult for um, many different activities to be going on. So th- that's certainly been one of the challenges. Mm-hmm. But you know, it's it's temporary, and and things will shift again, and so we'll make do while we have to. Yeah, the the pro the natural process of life, right? Shifting and adapting as mm-hmm. as things change and as we must must do. So I wanted to ask uh, for you: Can you for if there's any parents right now that are at home that find themselves at home trying to recreate school? Uh, maybe they're feeling frustrated, or they just need a little bit of help or guidance. Do you have any advice for these parents? Well, my best advice I would say if you're in this struggle is is to follow your child's lead as much as you can and to allow as much flexibility in their schedules um, as, as possible. I mean, I know that there may be certain tasks that are required for the school system and there's certain timing of things, but 
if the child can be allowed certain choice in, in when or where or how to complete specific tasks, it will, it will make, um, it'll, it'll just make the whole process a little more relaxed and natural and, and give the child a little bit more sense of control because the situation has really made everyone feel very out of control in many ways and just yes. giving children back as much sense of control over their own lives as they can will help them to be more grounded, especially for the older children. Um, you know, the older, older elementary or middle school or high school kids, they, they are very capable and, and, and they want to have autonomy in, in their, in their schedule. And, and they don't really need a schedule, but, but, but they may need help just establishing a rhythm or a structure to the day versus uh, a strict schedule. And really, that's what we have at Shine Together. You know, as I was trying to describe it to you, I kept saying, well, we often do this or we usually do this. It, there is a flow to the day, but, but there doesn't have to be a, you know, at 930, this happens. You, it's some days kids were going to want to sleep in at home. So it's okay if they start school later. Um, it's okay if they do some of their work on the weekend instead of, you know, Monday through Friday. It doesn't have to only be to the, the traditional school schedule. Hmm. If the weather is super nice on, on a school day, you can make up those activities on another day. Um, right. Also, the flexibility and, and change for them. Yeah. yeah, the flexibility and 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 I I know that I, I would say to parents now, and I've I've said to many friends, if if your children are finishing their academic work in just an hour or two or three, then you are doing it right. I right. mean, homeschooling yes. homeschooling families have known for years that the academic content that's covered in a school day can be covered in just a fraction of the time normally spent in a classroom. And that is one of the best advantages of this lifestyle is, is freeing up more time for individual and family pursuits. Thank you for saying that because I think that is something that I think uh, some parents get are getting worried because their children are done their work really quickly. And then it's kind of like they feel like they need to give them more busy work to keep no. them busy throughout the day because they've already done their work or they're doing something wrong because they finished it already. So yeah, it's a very different, um, well, you also have the classroom of 30 other kids, like you said, it creates a, you're really trying to fit a, a schedule that, you know, you have a curriculum that you're trying to abide by and get within a certain scheduled time as well. It brings a lot of other factors into play that I think many are seeing that without that, it really changes the dynamic of learning, but also how you learn and how quickly kids are, are completing things and learning as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think more families will see the, the advantages and, and the, the, having the time for the other things, the kids, kids having this, this free time in ways that they, you know, that our culture doesn't permit, like kids are in, school for six or seven hours a day and then they're often in scheduled structured activities for another two or three or four hours they some of them barely have time to eat and and to sleep and and I think there'll be a lot of families who are are seeing that you know they parents don't need to plan every minute of their child's day 
And children do need the opportunity to be bored. And when they're given the opportunity to be bored, eventually they'll figure out what to do with it. And and that's happening all over right now where, you know, parents are very busy with their work and managing their households. They can't, they can't entertain their children all day long. You know, they can help be their guides and they can get through the things they need to get through. But children are, are having more free time than ever before. And that is, is certainly been, been a positive in many cases. And I think that we will see a lot of families who are, who are making that leap into homeschooling um, truly because, you know, right now many families are doing school at home, but homeschooling itself looks very different um, than, than what, than the current situation. I, I honestly feel for families who are thinking about that is, is that there's no time like the present to start. Um, there's only a few weeks left of the school year in, in most, uh, in most of the states here. And this with the summer break, it, it's the perfect opportunity to try out, you know, what, what, what homeschooling for real would be like and to think about the values and educational philosophy that are specific to uh, your family and to look around in your area to see what kind of homeschooling groups and what other sort of opportunities are out there to support you because this is something that, you know, that's very doable. And, and people don't always know until they give it a chance. And so I think, you know, people, people have already been forced to, in some ways, give it a chance, but, but, um, but to really actually step away from what they've been getting from the school and think about what they could do uh, within their family. It's just an incredible opportunity for so many people. Mm. Yeah, it is an incredible opportunity. And I agree when you said that what is happening right now for many is trying to replicate school at home, but homeschooling really is not the same. That's not what homeschooling is. It's very different, but families I think are have a chance to dip their toes in the water for sure and and uh, and try that out. And it's, yeah, I think the rewards can be quite remarkable as well. And And like you said, getting to as you know, see our our kids grow and enjoy and what they're doing and flourish, and it creates a very different environment for learning and long time lifelong learning as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which which is you know a huge goal that I think we all have for all of our children, because if they're going to succeed in any area, they they need to have the ability to learn new things, like most of us are going to cycle through many different jobs throughout our lives. And there's going to be new material to learn um, throughout that process. And then certainly in our personal lives, we're learning our whole lives long. There's so much to take in and to do and to become. Um, And so, so much is open to us if we have that sort of mindset. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's right. We do have a lot open to us and it's a lot of opportunity. So I I know we're getting to our time and I really want to thank you for taking your time to talk to me on the show and to, uh, you know, your 
joy and enthusiasm and passion, like you said, what you're doing is what you're really passionate about. It is obvious. It comes through very clearly. And I love that. It's inspirational. Mm -hmm. And uh, those are the stories that I like to share on the show. So thank you very much for, for coming on and sharing that. Yes, thanks for saying that. <laughs> so if we want to, if listeners want to learn more about you, more, learn more about Shine Together, how can we find you um, and connect and just, yeah, and learn more about the wonderful things that you're creating for the learning community, for kids in your learning community? Well, sure. I, well, I have a Facebook page, which is Shine Together LLC. And then I have a website as well which is shinetogethermn.com, MN for Minnesota. (laughs) And then they could email me as well at shinetogethermn at gmail.com. Okay. And what I'll do is I'll include all of those on the show notes as well. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Robin. yeah, my pleasure. If they, if you if you're listening and you just want to go to the show notes link and get those links, I will make them available there as well. Well, thank you so much, Mandy. I appreciate the time and I'm looking forward to checking in and learning more about Shine Together and also what you and your daughter are creating. I it I'm yeah, I'm very happy to hear all of that. Mhm. Thanks so much. <laughs>